In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. These words of St. Matthew, chapter 11, from our gospel lesson, as well as the other two lessons we heard from Revelation 14 and Romans 3, are the traditional scripture lessons appointed for our yearly celebration of the Lutheran Reformation and have been for a long time. I do not know when the debate began for sure, but the precise interpretation of these words I just read again have produced some disagreement among Lutheran pastors who regularly preach on them. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, there is no doubt that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. The gospel is persecuted. The gospel teaches man that his status before God is determined 100% by the mercy of God for the sake of Christ, who gave himself as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Ever since this new song of deliverance and freedom was first promised, man who wants some credit for his salvation has been enslaving himself again by trying to insert his own merit and worthiness into the equation. The righteousness of the law is to some measure understandable and even achievable when left to human wisdom. It doesn't take much more than a reasonable person to agree that right is right and wrong is wrong. And so it follows logically that good people who do right are rewarded with God's favor and bad people who do wrong are punished with God's disapproval. It stands to reason. But it is not true, at least not when it comes to our eternal destiny. It stands to reason, but reason lies. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The law that makes sense to reason can curb our behavior, but it cannot fix our hearts or root out our sin. The law that reason can get in line with cannot reveal the God who is. The God who requires perfect obedience from the inmost heart. The law revealed by Moses can. And Moses condemns us. He, like every prophet, leads us to the mercy of God, long promised to be revealed in the fullness of time. And this mercy is not revealed by reason or to reason. It is revealed from faith to faith. It is revealed in the gospel. It isn't a message about what you must do, but what you must believe. Because it isn't a message about what you must do, but of what God's Son, Jesus Christ, has done. This message offends human pride. It offends the can-do spirit that makes for success. To achieve what the world will praise as good by your own efforts gives glory to you. And that feels good. To receive the righteousness of him who did for you what you could not do gives glory to God. And that requires repentance. 
It requires a can't-do confession of unworthiness before the law of God. It requires a didn't-do-what-I-should-have-but-a-did-do-what-I-should-not-have acknowledgement. It requires that sinners plead to God for the only mercy he has ever revealed to anybody, the mercy found in Christ who did do all that pleased God in our place and who suffered for the sins of all sinners to reconcile the world to himself. It is mercy richly bestowed and revealed, not in demands that you do this or that, but in the good news of Jesus that invites you to own it. And it is news. It is news best spread in a song. It is news which, if it is read out loud, spoken, and the heart believes, it is news that causes a song to be composed within the gladdened and comforted heart that has come to know God as gracious and kind for Jesus' sake. A song of praise to him who makes us new by forgiving us all our sins, clothing us in his own obedience and teaching us to love the goodness that he requires for joy that the badness he forbids will not be held to our account. It was laid on him whom John the Baptist called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But what of this debate among Lutheran pastors? It is beyond clear that if even our own reason objects to this marvelous truth, that those who do not heed the baptizer's warning to repent and be washed will also oppose it themselves. Those who despise God's word or think nothing of it, and who depend on human reason and human virtue, Yes, the kingdom suffers violence. But what of this? The violent take it by force. What does this mean? Does it mean that the kingdom suffers violence because the violent try to force us to deny the saving faith? Or does it mean that those who take to the gospel promise and believe in Jesus enter the kingdom with such fervor and excitement and determined conviction that it is like a violent wave of people rushing in. Well, this is the debate. It's a friendly debate, and I think we who fall on one side this year fall on the other side the next year because we just don't know, and really, it's certainly both. The one causes the other. Persecution deepens the commitment of the faithful. Just see what happens when the gospel is opposed. And those who have no life in the world other than the one plagued by sin, those who prefer the life above where God dwells, who is reconciled to sinners even now for Jesus' sake, where he will wipe away their tears and remove all sin forever. See what happens when they try to take from Jesus one of his little lambs and see him fight for them and give to his weakest of sheep and littlest of lambs such a fighting spirit to refuse to let it go. When persecution comes to Christians, oh, we may flee. But where do we flee? We flee to Christ, who is our refuge and strength, our mighty fortress. And where is he? 
He is here with us. He is by our side upon the battle plain, as we'll sing later. He is with his church where his word is preached, where, where helpless sinners who can't choose good from evil are baptized and given new birth by water and the word. We're convinced Christians who know the gospel but still sin and need forgiveness every day are fed his very body and blood to sustain them with courage and certainty that Christ is theirs and that they are his and that he is here with his good gifts and spirit. Yes, the violent try to take it by force. We just heard how it happened to John and Henry. We heard that it that it's happened since God first sent prophets into the world. And which of them were not tempted or persecuted? Speaking of persecution, temptation to doubt this good news is the worst kind of persecution. It is the persecution that begins in our own hearts. Temptation to find more joy in the vain pleasures of earth is far more powerful than whatever force the enemy can employ. The sweet song is more tempting than the sour. So whether we are persecuted outwardly or inwardly, we identify the devil's lie, the devil's cruelty, and we flee to Jesus. But Jesus is with us. So we don't flee to heaven. We don't flee to a monastery. We don't flee to the mountains. We flee to where the gospel is publicly preached to us, until where little children are bold enough to sing it to us. And we who are not of the world remain in the world as long as he lets us, because this is where Jesus remains with us. We who have ears to hear also have tongues to confess, and so we do, and it spreads. And so hearts believe unto righteousness, and confession is made unto salvation, as the Bible says. Oh, what a joy to hear these children confess the truth this evening. Well, we trained the kids to sing it. And singing might come hard to some. It takes training. But so does living as a Christian. These children will be trained, as we all must be, by the opposition the world of unbelief and impenitence has for the gospel we teach them to love. They will be trained to cling violently to the word that saves them and to make a good confession and an ever clearer confession as the heat of persecution may increase. That is our hope. That is our purpose here. That is the personal goal and prayer of every Christian and it's what we want for all our children. We have a safe school. It's filled with sinful children who have sinful parents. But we know how to behave and how to correct misbehavior when we fail because we know how to admit and confess our sin. We maintain a safe environment and want to preserve all the children here from whatever might hurt their tender hearts. And I hope that you are all grateful for what we all do our best to maintain for the children here. But dear parents, of the children whom God has entrusted to you and whom you have entrusted to us. Trinity Lutheran School is no mere refuge and fortress from a hostile world. It is no mere shelter from or alternative to the public schools or something like that. 
It is much more than what might protect them from those who would take the kingdom by force. It is also where they learn to take to the kingdom and enter it with forceful determination, with such confidence that might even be described as violent. It is where they are taught to forgive those who have hurt them or excluded them or been mean to them, where they see teachers apologize when they've done wrong, when they see parents reconcile because they believe in the power of Jesus' blood. It is where by the good news of Jesus, they learn of the forgiveness that is for them and also theirs to share. It is where we are reconciled to Jesus, to God for Jesus' sake, and where he teaches us to be reconciled to each other as well and to base friendship with one another on the friendship that our Savior has shown to us. The definition of a martyr is one who witnesses. It's just what it means, one who sees and one who bears witness to what he has seen. But it is no wonder the word for witness came later to be defined as one who suffered or died for his faith. For so we might still expect it. There is no way to keep such persecution at bay forever. And at the very least in death, the enemy we all fear most will certainly have its day when our bodies die. And it is for this day that we prepare our children and ourselves. The day of our final defeat when no reason or wisdom or virtue can save us then, only Jesus. And so we teach them to confess Jesus in the face of temptation and doubt in the face of guilt and failure, to confess him who teaches us to know his forgiveness, to believe it, and to bear witness to it in word and deed. This is the purpose of our singing. Let this generation sing to pride, lewdness, and anger. Let this generation entertain itself and demand that God entertain them. Jesus compares this generation to silly minstrel children sitting in the marketplace doing just this. This generation is disappointed with Jesus for not appealing to what they want. But the generation of those who believe in Jesus sing a different song. A new song that makes us new. Not of how God should conform to what we want, but of how God conforms us to what he wants. Even through the suffering of his son, if we may be so honored to suffer for his name. And so we sing of Christ and to Christ. And if I may encourage you, you learn from your children how to sing, because they know the tune. And so we serve one another as the apostle commands, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in spiritual psalms and hymns and songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The gospel we sing is foolishness to the world. So be it. For us, it is the wisdom of God for salvation for those who believe, and this wisdom is justified by her children, so we teach this wisdom to our children because we want them to be justified by faith. And by this wisdom, they learn to express the confidence that God wants them to live in and die knowing that our life is secure in him 
and lasts forever with Jesus in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto eternal life. Amen. Amen.